Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. Super excited here to be with Angela Campanoni. Angela, really excited to have you here. And where I usually like to start, rather than me reading somebody's bio, is to get you to tell us a little bit about yourself and your backstory for those that might be discovering you for the first time today. Sure. Thanks, Corey. I'm really excited to be here. Um, a bit about me, I guess I've been in the fashion industry um, in Canada for about 30 years. I started young as a teenager in runway and through that really discovered a love for more of the background in fashion, not as much being out on the stage. I went into design at, with school, uh, graduated from Dalhousie University. They had a, an amazing costume studies program there. And with that, I took my education and I just sort of adapted it through the years. I've worked in manufacturing for many years. I worked for about 11 years directly as a designer for various companies. And then from there, I left to do a bit more in sales and uh, merchandising and uh, created an event here called Atlantic Fashion Week. So I wanted to basically take all of my background and to be able to help young designers. Uh, I'd had a lot of models at that point. I'd owned a modeling agency. Um, so I had the background for that, uh, the background with event planning. And I just wanted to take everything I had learned over my years and just sort of help other people with it. It's very, very expensive for a young designer to try to get any kind of um, brand awareness, marketing, being able to put on a full on, you know, fashion show. So um, that's where we sort of developed this sort of collaborative type event. And it's been pretty amazing. We would have had our 14th season <laughs> this year. However, um, with COVID, we've uh, postponed that until next fall. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty neat to see. We've worked with, you know, Atlantic Fashion Week's probably promoted well over 220 different designers over the years. Some are still in business, some have moved on to other things. Um, but I guess through this, where my transition has happened more recently is through sort of the shutdown and looking at what I was doing and what you know more I could do, I guess for myself, is uh, that just my love of branding and marketing and the things that I was doing uh, moved me back into uh, actually, a former employer I used, employer I used to work with, uh, Stanfields, that it was my last design position I held 14 years ago. And uh, I've actually recently gone back as their um, North American brand manager for their women's division called Elita. So that has basically a dream position for me to be able to stay still at home, yet taking everything I've learned very hard to find something in that industry in general especially you know the Canadian fashion industry but to find a position that allows me to be the person to come up with the ideas and then have a whole team that can kind of make that happen that's what I've always been is an ideas person so I'm kind of taking this brand that's been around for 30 years it started in Montreal and uh, Stanfield's bought the brand I, I believe maybe between probably 12 and 15 years ago and I'm actually treating it like a startup I'm just going in there. I want, you know, remarketing it. Um, all kinds of new social media things are about to happen. We just redesigned the website. It's just getting my hands involved in all the different areas and having a company that backs up my ideas. Uh, you know, that's that's something really exciting for me. So that uh, that's sort of my overall career. It's where I'm at right now. 
Um, of course, I'm a mom. I've got three children, um, five, seven, and 22, I guess would be called a child, but uh, it's graduating university and all girls. So my husband's, you know, <laughs> my husband's in the world of girls. <laughs> That's wild. And so um, having said that, as far as the, um, the decision to join a company, and I know you kind of alluded to it, but was it difficult, you know, after doing your own thing for so long to make sort of that transition back to doing your own thing, but under somebody else's umbrella? Yeah, I think, you know, that was my one thing I really had to look at, you know, when we've been talking, you know, what, what was that going to be like to go from having my own schedule, being my own boss, doing my own thing. This position was perfect for me because I still have the feeling like I am my own boss. They've really given me basically full reign of what I'm doing, um, you know, pitching my ideas and getting to implement them. And, uh, you know, I, I can basically work anywhere with this position. So I'm still working from home. So I am kind of setting my hours. It's not a big deal for me to, you know, get some ideas at 10 p.m. at night, jump on the computer. Um, so which is the way I, I always was. And it was the perfect time for me to go back and do this, especially where there isn't the pressure of also trying to do this other big massive production and you know while trying to start a new position and you know all of these different things that would that would entail um but i think it had to be the right position and for me this is basically the type of job that i would see ending my career in because it is perfect for me so and so is that like a foreshadowing like can you actually you see this is something you may be doing until you kind of retire fully? Uh, you know, as long as I do a good job. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it's, it's an exciting position to be in. Um, there is just such potential for growth and the direction of growth. And, you know, we have a very good following in Canada with the brand. And we have been making some pre pretty big strides uh, online with American retailers. But just what we could do expanding into the North American and the American market. Um, it's just, it's vast. Um, you know, it is a, a ladies intimate apparel. So it's a commodity that everybody always needs. Mm -hmm. We're actually just in the process. Um, they approved for the next few weeks. I've launched a one for one give back. So for sales that we're doing, we're going to be actually because of the pandemic and how you know much this has affected so many women having uh, to go to shelters and domestic situations we are going to be matching our sales uh, in the women's division so if we sell 10,000 pairs over the next you know four weeks we're going to donate the 10,000 pairs across shelters across women's uh, shelters across Canada so that's something very dear to my heart I'm very excited about that and, you know I pitched the idea and they, they were all in and you know it's it's just nice to kind of be trusted with the direction I want to take it and and there's just so much we could do with it so. and so having said that uh Stanfields has been mo ma uh, mainly known for men's correct is that yeah. correct? apparel yeah. for years and so yeah so Stanfields is uh you know over 150 years old it's currently in its fifth generation. So John Stanfield, who is the president of Stanfields, he is the, the he was, his father was uh, 
running it when I was there and he was uh, in a different uh, position. And so now he's taken the helm. And so again, his fifth generation of Stanfield. So that's pretty amazing. When COVID hit, originally he had to lay everybody off, um, but then miraculously flipped the concept of the company. It was always meant, not always meant, there was ladies wear within it, but it was known mostly for its men's, you know, winter apparel, fleece, wools, um, underwear. And he completely switched the factory over to PPE. So they have actually, not only just their factory, they've been able to provide work from multiple factories across the country. Um, they've shipped well over 2 million gowns right now. Uh, they're still on more. So with the ingenuity to know to do that, to take a company that for 150 years has been doing one thing, to then flip it to do something completely different. We're talking a different type of fabric. You have to retro the, retrain the sewers on how to work with it. Um, and then they were doing masks and you know they were doing all this other medical um, items. That ability to do that was also another reason that I was excited to go back to do with them for what I'm doing. Because to me, I saw that you know, at the helm, there's somebody who has forward thinking and big picture thinking and adaptability where it wasn't going to be just, no, we've never done it that way. We've always done it this way. Let's keep doing it this way. We've done it this way for generations, you know, and, and I've seen many manufacturers go under because of working in that industry. I've seen the writing on the wall with various things. Um, they've been very good with still trying to keep a lot of the product, you know, especially in the women's in my division, it's all designed in Canada. It's, um, it's housed here in Canada, but a lot of it's made overseas in various markets, whether it's Italy or, you know, uh, Vietnam or in the Orient, like in the Orient, just, um, you know, it is made in different areas, but everything's conceptualized, you know, in house. And uh, it, you have to do that to be, you know, be able to play in the market. But because of everything else they've doing, they've been able to keep so many employees local that, you know, that's the story. So we're, we've shifted to this. We're still employing, you know, over 200 employees just here in Nova Scotia alone, not to mention all the factories that are keeping busy across Canada. So, And now, now just so I understand that side too, the, what they did for the 150 years, are they back to doing some of that as well? Or is that still? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, that's their staple. You know, they do beautiful fleece. They also do it for other people. Um, not really sure what I guess I can share, but there's a lot of fleece in the market under other brands that we do their fleece for them. We produce the garments for them. So it's not just Stanfield's brands that we do. We do other stuff as well. Private labels, I guess, for other, for other companies. And um, their wool, you know, that we have a huge following out West, especially in, you know, the outdoors market. They've really changed a lot of their marketing they've got some great uh, brand ambassadors now that are you know just organically using the products it's not even like you know we're hiring these people to do this it's it's them loving the products they've been using it they have great social media you know concepts so they started using them as brand ambassadors and and we've gotten some beautiful photos and stuff just from people out you know in the mountains and you know bc doing their thing and wearing their their wool stanfields so yeah that's uh that won't go away. And, and a lot of that is all still made in Canada in, in the plant. So. so now as far as Stanfields, and then I want to circle back around to your work as well, but I'm just, I'm going by memory on this, but 
are they were they always are they were they a Nova Scotia company to begin? In the very very beginning, way back, like probably 160 years. Uh, it's been, I think I believe it's been 150 years in Nova Scotia. It was actually I think at PEI. Oh wow! I didn't it may know. have been. It was a woolen company. Um, don't quote me on that, but uh, I'd have to really look into that history. But I don't think it was New Brunswick. I'm pretty sure it started um, in uh, in a factory in PEI. And then over, like, just moved it into, uh, it was Brothers, I believe. And then the one brother brought it over to Halifax for whatever reason. It was like the Woolen something is what the original name was. It wasn't by the name. It wasn't called Stanfields. It was a different, a different name. So, and, but it was, so it's the other side of that is it's always been Atlanta, Canada, Atlanta, Canadian. Yes. You know. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, for five generations. Yeah. 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 You don't get that much anymore, especially in manufacturing in Canada. Very, very seldom are you going to see not only just vertical manufacturing, meaning from, you know, from the ground up, everything from design to fabric to, you know, cut. So, um, but to, you know, be as uh, busy as they are and as strong as they are um but you know it's because uh, it, it's it's a tough landscape in, in the canadian market because you know the retail is going to be higher just for the fact that obviously everything is a higher price point so as long as you can make the quality product that people are willing to pay for it's uh you know they, they're going to keep doing it so and it's it's in um Truro, is that correct uh, yeah. So I, I looked it up because I was curious now. Uh, as long as Wikipedia is accurate, then you're accurate because okay. <laughs> it says uh, founded in Prince Edward Island, Charles E. Stanfield, 1856, his brother Samuel E. Dawson, uh, brother-in-law, I should say. And then uh, it says under Tryon Woolen. Woolen, you know, yes. In Tryon. Yeah. I was see. I was I was not bad. Not bad with my history. PEI, oh. well, something woolen, and it was brothers. So brother-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. That's, there you go. I didn't even read that before I started back. So that's 14 years ago. I knew that. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So so yeah. So that's kind of cool. I just curious if it was an Atlantic Canadian company to begin with. Not that it's you know not that it doesn't make it just as significant if it's not. But I think that's pretty cool. Um, just like Paderno in Prince Edward Island. Um, you know, it's amazing how many people I know in other parts of Canada that are like, no, that's not from, that's not a Prince Edward Island company. It just, yes. it's wild to see, you know, one, I, I would say arguably one of the most well-known and, and well, most well-liked, uh, pot, pot and kit pan companies in the 100%. world. Yeah. And little. And I mean, they're, or they're a manufacturing plant. I drive by it all the time and I'm just like, this is so cool. Uh, yeah. but yeah, so I, I love it. I love it when our little region, because it's such a small region, has these success stories that have go back so long. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I was, you know, I was explaining to people uh, a lot about, you know, the plant, little things that, you know, just people just wouldn't even know. I mean, when you look at things like the fleece, well, you know, we actually knit it. We have the massive machines that knit the fleece and brush the fleece. Um, we have uh, a dye department. So if I want to create something in a specific pink, I could give them little samples or chips, maybe paint chips or something like this is the pink I want to hit. Well, we have a dye lab that he like literally develops the dye to get to the color onto that fabric. And so when you see like just to be able to do that all in house, where so many designers now, you know, they order their fabric online, they bring it in and they work with it. But this is literally when, when you say vertical manufacturing, it's from the bottom up, we're knitting the fabric, we're dyeing the fabric, we're cutting it, we're sewing it, we're labeling it, shipping it, and you know, putting it wherever it's gonna go. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Now with Elita, uh, again, Elita was a brand started in Montreal, 
uh, by a father and son, and it's all just women's women's intimate apparel. So it kind of filled when Stanfield's purchased the company, it filled that need for sort of that women's line that's outside of warm wear and um, athletic wear and things that you know they used to have sort of on this more on the active and sports wear that kind of was the women's version of the men's styles you know that you would need for for retail um it's a completely its own you know it's its own category uh if you go into like the hudson's bay that's one of our largest clients they always have you know quite uh an assortment of alita there it's all you know single hanging product and it's it's pretty exciting to see now a lot of people are you know they'll see oh it's not made in canada well it was made in canada at one point but in order to be you know competitive for what people want to pay for in that commodity yeah it's different if you're buying you know a, a full-on you know wool active wear piece you understand you know what goes into that but when it comes to sort of your essentials i guess um you know you have to be able to be you know marketable that way and it's not even so much even just about cost to produce it in-house it's also you know machinery and the manufacturing and the fine details and it's just there's things that you know they make the best in italy and that's where we you know bring it in from because it's a specific type of machinery and it's a fine detail that you know it uh it, it's just what you have to do sort of to progress in time. So we bring it in. So I have to really work and visualize what I want to see in 18 months ahead. Because by the time you design it and you pitch it to your retailers and they buy it and you place the orders and it gets made and you bring it over, you know, you have to be sort of that far ahead. Wow. It's uh, you can tell you're passionate about it too, which is, I mean, this is yeah, I love it. forever. Right. But, but I mean, you can tell you're passionate about it and it's really cool. I mean, I think if I were the person that was, um, you know, involved in the, let's say, Stanfields and seeing how much passion you have for this new line within Stanfields. I mean, I think that'd be exciting for me as the person that, um, you know, that, that sees the future of that company. Because obviously they bought that company feeling like there can be a strong future. And yeah. to have a, a person that's, like you say, even though you feel like you're working on your own, you're still sort of under that umbrella. To have somebody that's that passionate is, I think it's it's rarer in the employee world these days. So yeah you know and i i actually agree a lot with that statement because i used to always say if you're the owner of your own company you're never going to get you know that passion that you really can find that right person and i kind of i'm looking at this as if it was my brand if it was my company and you know i i even found when i when i used to own the modeling agency you had to have models and people that you were sending out to represent your you know your company and you had to hope that they were passionate enough to be, you know, showing a good face, not, you know, I guess a good face, they were models, but, <laughs> but, you know, showing that good sort of brand of your company because they were representing your company. And it was a lot of times you'd come across the ones that just didn't care because, you know, I'm not paying the bills, you're paying me to be here, you know, <laughs> they're not looking at the big picture where, so I think that was just sort of a work ethic I've always been raised with that, you know, you just, when you're going in, you're all in. And whether it's you're building your dream, building somebody else's dream, you know, I know people kind of say that, oh, you know, you, why build somebody else's dream? I'm like, that's the wrong way to look at it because, you know, I love what I'm doing. And that's, that is what I think is the most important is that you just love what you do and that it's not work. And, you know, I think that's, that's a big thing. Well, I think we, I feel like we'd be in trouble 
as a society in the world, if everybody just said, well, I'm not building my own dream, so why do anything? Because, you know, it's still, I mean, even though there's been a major growth in entrepreneurship, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still employees that make the world go round. So yeah. I'm actually glad that not everybody says, well, I'm, I'm not going to build somebody else's dream. I'm only doing my own thing. And not only that, you and I both know statistics of business failure. So, you know, it's like, only five yep. percent of businesses fail or succeed past five years. So imagine if every person in the world said business owner only. I don't necessarily think that's the right fit either. So, no. so well, my very first business failed. I had when I because I was you know twenty one and graduated university and thought, hey, I can open up my bridal salon. I'm going to make custom bridal couture and in small town of Windsor, Nova Scotia, before social media in the nineties. You know, hey, that's what that was going to be my big thing. Yeah, it was about 18 months, <laughs> you know, so that's, you, you just, you go in and, and you hope for the best. And then you realize, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And Well, my, my first uh, business that I had uh, failed in less than the a advice year. I always give any young designer that comes. Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's good to try it and you know, but uh, I, you know, I, I tell any young designer that comes to me and asks me advice and they don't like to hear it most of the time everybody wants to graduate school just like i did throw your name on a label and be that designer who's got their own brand i tell everybody work under somebody find somebody that you can be exposed to even if it's got to be volunteer on the side and you need to do another hustle i said it is worth it you owe it to yourself after my business failed i had been doing some contract work for nova scotia textiles which sort of similar idea to what um, stanfields and truro is but it was in windsor and made the same kind of products and the invaluable things that i learned how to you know work with companies overseas and you know imports and working you know with the life experience navigating a non-union union environment you know i was management non-union working with union workers just at you know age 22 23 you know getting to learn the politics just everything and everything from all the various areas that go into producing garments everything i learned and eventually stayed in the manufacturing world i went to various contracts had various uh, positions but i would tell anybody you this is what you need to do like you you even give yourself a year but most just just no no i'm gonna do it my way and you know you're like okay talk to you next year see how you're feeling <laughs> some make it some do it and those are awesome and unfortunately you know seven times out of ten they don't make it past a couple of years and because artistic people in design you know they don't like the other stuff the accounting you know that's the big thing and you know the how to do proper costing on what does that garment really cost you to make you know you're thinking oh great i just sold that skirt for 200 dollars. i'm like yeah it cost you three cost <laughs> to 300 because you didn't take in you know your your rent your this your that your power your everything it takes to produce that garment not just it costs this much fabric uh, you know it cost me 25 dollars in materials i sold it for 75 yay like no <laughs> it doesn't work like that so anyway it's all learning experience it's uh absolutely well and so circling back to your business as we start to wind down um especially the uh, the show let's like talk assuming that live events and live stuff comes back let's go that route yeah. will this how does this new role affect that for you like is it 
is did you take on this role with the ability to keep running that or is it something where you kind of decided last time you did it was the last time you do it type thing i'm just curious what the future yeah was. no that's actually that's that's a really good question it's probably a lot of people when they saw me take on this role in the industry were like oh what does that mean you know what about atlantic Bash week and it's funny when i was beginning to take on this role i had a wonderful couple who's a, a, a design couple here they wanted to do some virtual uh, online events this fall and I was, and they came to me and I sort of helped, you know, help them with how they were going to lay it out. And I was like, that's fantastic. Cause I really didn't have any interest to take that piece on. Um, it was a lot of work and um, I, I just felt without, with getting fresh eyes on, you know, doing something a little different. And they had all different people come in from different areas of the industry to talk over a four day period online and virtually. And it was, it was great. And I think, you know, when I saw that, to see sort of, I don't necessarily want to say I would pass the torch, meaning I would, you know, step away from it, but I feel like I could have more involvement from other people to put the event on, to make it the way they need it, you know, to, to update what designers really need out of it, almost like a committee type of thing to keep it and just sort of help oversee it. Uh, I could see that happening. I wasn't told I had to like stop doing that because I'm, you know, working for the company and, and they know it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a once a year type event that it's sort of a passion project. I, you know, my main work, I would say outside of Atlantic Fashion Week was helping my husband's agency. So the person who's feeling the most me going back to work is my, is my husband because, you know, his brokerage is very busy and now it's back to him and, and, you know, without me helping. Um, but, you know, Fashion Week was something that it was a passion. It's a passion project. And, you know, it was really meant to help other designers. I didn't get, I don't want to say I didn't get professional gain out of it. It's not, but it's, it wasn't myself I was promoting in that industry. It was other people. So if those other people want to step in and do more with it, I am fully all ears for that. So I'd like to see it keep going as long as it's, you know, done right. And yeah, and, and I said that, you know, obviously making the assumption of what happens with live events, because we don't know when it's going to come back around, but yeah. that doesn't, I mean, I, I think the one common is I think most people feel events are going to come back around. It's just a when. And yeah. so, yeah, so I understand when I ask that question, it's not like a, you don't know a specific timeline of when it will come back around because it depends on a lot of variables, but yeah. it, was, it was always a fall event. It was always a fall event and you cannot socially distance. It's, you know, there it's makeup artists. You know, we'd have 20 makeup artists, 20 hairdressers. We'd have 80 to 120 models every night. Everybody was crammed backstage, all the designers in order to make it work so that the designers fees were very, very, very low um, to part, you know, to participate. Um, we'd have to have anywhere between three and 400 people in attendance, which is hard to find venues that can accommodate that with the runway, with the seating, the way we need it. So social distancing is just not, not an option. So if we are in any type of situation next fall that we have to do the whole like six feet apart, all that sort of stuff, then I, I just, we wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. Well, you'd either, You'd have too few people to be able to make it, like cover the cost right. to do it, or uh, you would have to have a venue that's so big that again, yeah. the cost would be too high. Yeah, the, the venue that was always my favorite was that there was an old Rona building in Halifax that it was 100,000 square feet and it was completely gutted inside just cement. That's been taken over by one of those uh, 
like U-Haul rental type places. So it's been put in as a storage unit now inside. So we lost that space. We had it for two years. We had like a 200 foot runway. <laughs> like it was great. That would have been literally the only place that we could hold it and be socially distanced while having enough people. So that's 100,000 square foot space is pretty tough to find. And probably the, the rates that you would need to have it at to make it feasible as well. Yeah. And the other side is, I mean, I don't know this, but it would probably take, I mean, we, we're all do, trying to do what we can, but it would probably take some of the electricity out of it too, if everybody was that far apart for a, a modeling, yeah. type of, like a run, runway and a show type of event. Yeah, like, like the, the runway portion itself, I mean, models go down singly down the runway. Right. So I mean, that part of it, but it's, it's what you see happens during the end. People are excited. People are socializing. People are shopping in our market area. People, you know, they're, it's usually girls coming together and having drinks. And, you know, it's just, it, I think you would lose a lot of that sort of togetherness that, you know, our events really kind of push. So. And now my very last question, um, outside of maybe the traditional, you know, where can we learn more? Yeah. But my last official question before that is, I know we've talked about it most of this conversation, but how has COVID impacted you in your life? Like personally, I mean, I think it's the elephant in the room. So I think it's, I would like to find out how it's impacted everybody. So how has it impacted you? Well, I mean, originally when it all started, I thought, okay, great. We're going to be shut down for two weeks. Right before the day before shutdown started, I went to the Michael's Crafts. I bought a ridiculous amount of craft and paint supplies and it was going to be like a staycation with the kids, you know, and it was the first two weeks was wonderful. I was like, wow, I didn't know I needed this time. We painted and did art. And then as you slowly saw, Oh, we're going to make the decision in the end of April and then the end of May. And I'm like, they're not going to send the kids back to school for a month. And I'm like, okay, we've got to figure out what's going to happen here. Um, my husband's business on, on a flip side, you know, blew up so to speak, because it, not in a bad way, but in a good way, because one of the main industries he, you know, uh, has is golf. And so that was, that was amazing in a sense for him because so many people were getting out because it was the only sport that was allowed to happen because it was outside. Nice. So he was super busy. You know, I was trying to do my own work stuff and my own projects. We had the kids home. It was, it was chaos in that sense. Um, missing family and until I remember when the bubble we had that first expansion of the first bubble and my sister-in-law came over and she's very close with my nieces and my niece my, my my sorry my daughter hugged her and she was in tears and she says you know because she missed hugs from other people and you know as a, as a parent that was heartbreaking to see that you know that it affected them that much because you just you know, you don't know. My, my five-year-old literally took Google on her tablet and talked into it and said, Google, when, when will the virus end? Mm. I mean, to see your five-year-old thinking like that was, you know, it's just, and, and you don't know, you don't really know how to handle it because what is the long-term effects of them being away from contact and friends for six months at that point? So, um, you know, career-wise, I mean, I, started a new career in 2020 so I, I love that I mean it's it's amazing I'm extremely excited and happy for it um, you know it may have started earlier if, if um, it hadn't happened the way it did uh, you know I had been speaking with them about things and uh, you know but other than that 
also the fact that my career is also in, you know, is, has a retail component to it, which, you know, we have stores across Canada on lockdown and close out, but we have a massive growth right now in our e-retail. So we've, you know, we've got big clients like, uh, we have Amazon's one of our clients and HBC.com is one of our clients. And so it's like Macy's.com in the state. So all these companies that are online, so we've been able to do that. So it's, it's been really up and down on that. For me, it's, the missing the socialization, missing, you know, my girlfriends, missing the, the outer stuff, you know, you make your bubble, it's usually always your close family. So we have that piece, but the social piece of it, meeting with clients in person and, you know, having drinks with your girlfriends in the evening to complain about our husbands and children, you know, we need that, you know, we were doing it over Zoom meetings, like my gosh, you know, Zoom, I should have bought stock in it in March. <laughs> It's, you know, it's crazy. Like, but you know, you do that and you, you need to have that. I mean, that's one thing. The social contact is, it's been really hard. I'm a, and I'm, I am an extreme um, extrovert and that's, that's really been something for me to adjust to. And then uh, just to finish that out, then things started to open up again and now we're back in the, back in the, the same boat again for at least a yeah. month that's yeah, I mean, I don't want things to open up too quickly. I mean, obviously, I just want us to get to the point where we're healthy again. And you're not, you know, looking at somebody who's sniffing and looking at somebody who's coughing in the store, because I know when I wear those masks, it's dry. And I'll all of a sudden get a little cough going under my mask. And I'm like, Oh, my goodness, everybody's probably wondering, like, what's wrong with her? She's coughing. You know? <laughs> I want to get to the point where I can wake up in the morning and not think about it. It's the same way in the political atmosphere, I want to wake up and not think about who the American president is. I wanted how it was, you know, six years ago. I woke up, never thought about it. You know, I, I just kind of want to go back to life where you wake up and you think about what you got going on today in a normal like environment and everybody's healthy and you know, you're not worried about who be, you know, with what. And yeah, it's it's been a weird, it's been a weird nine months. Yeah, I want I mean, if I were to say for myself, I want to get back to being able to impact people live in person as a speaker. Now, obviously not at the cost of anybody else, but but it's still something just like the fashion thing, right? It's still something, or the social thing you mentioned, it's still something that burns inside of me that it sucks that I can't do. Even though, I mean, it doesn't like, obviously everything's all relative. I mean, there's people starving in the world, so I don't, I don't mean to take it lightly and say, you know, I should be able to go speak, but I just mean that's something that, I would love to be able to get back to you. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm counting the days until I can eventually be on a stage and, and just approach an audience. But to your point too, Angela, not worry about if somebody coughs in the audience or if I cough on stage and then they think, Oh, uh -oh the speaker has something, what it's going to affect all of us. And you know, I, that, I mean, I'll be glad. I'll ho I'm hopeful that that's going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, just, it'll, it really makes you realize the little things you miss. I think it puts a lot into perspective. Uh, I personally have discovered a lot of things I wasted time on. Um, and I also discovered that all the things I said, if I had more time, I would do still didn't do them. So they probably really weren't prioritized, you know, for me in my mind, you know, it was sort of a wish list thing, but really I could have done it. You know, I'm never going to have more time. Although I say that, I did have time and I didn't have time because all of a sudden I have kids home full time. And right. that was just a little, that was a different level of busy. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, I wish I had more time to, you know, do my Italian lessons so I can learn Italian. 
I probably could have, <laughs> but I didn't. So if I'm shut down, I'm not going to do it. I'm probably never going to learn Italian. And I just need to give that up in my headspace. <laughs> that maybe that's the lesson. It could be. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. I think it's all those things I wish on my wish list that I wish I could do. I wish I could do this. And I'm living in it going, eh, no, I don't really want to take time for that. And you know what? There's probably a part of you wishing that you could have done or saying, I'm going to do this when I have more time and wishing that you could do them, that maybe now you've got the piece from, well, you know what? I was beating myself up because I didn't do them. And why, you know, why can't I find the time to do this? And then all of a sudden they weren't a priority anymore. You go, well, maybe I don't have to beat myself up anymore. Never did, maybe maybe, maybe my list is different now. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So Angela, the very last question I, I gave you at the teaser, but really it's just so uh, people and whether it's the, you know, the, the brand that you're representing now, whether it's yourself, but where would you normally send people if they want to learn more about your work? So I guess the different, depending on which area, I guess, of my background, um, we have AtlanticFashionWeek.com is where, you know, you can kind of learn about the event, learn about designers we've had. Um, we try to promote a lot of the designers. So it's kind of nice if you're looking for something in sort of Atlantic Canada to uh, help and support. Um, Elita.com. Uh, it's you can go to stanfields.com and find the Alita brand and it'll redirect you, but alita.com is the direct website. Uh, we have a new website launching this month, so that's kind of exciting for me. Um, and also, one thing we didn't really talk about much, but you know, if you want to find something that's completely off topic is, you know, I wrote a children's book uh, a couple of years ago. Um, it's unfortunately been, in a weird way, it's been, you know, picking up sales only because it does help children with loss and grief and i'm seeing the sales coming in globally from it um and i think it's because when people search and look for books that you know it there has been so much loss in the world yeah. so that is i want to see my papa.com for that book or you know they can find me on instagram spell out my name it's like a treasure hunt if you could spell my name you can find me <laughs> so uh you know there's always all the links to those companies there too so This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>